right, people, you are now tuned in to Pipsqueak, the Double Entendre Podcast. This is your host, Sean, and today I am joined by two of my friends, and we're going to have a revolutionary guest later today. To my left, we have David, a.k.a. Peter. Peter, say hello to the people. Hey, everyone. What's going on? David here again. All right, and to my right, we have a new podcaster. She is my friend. She is my foe sometimes. She is annoying <laughs> on other times. She is the big sister I never, ever, ever, ever wanted. Jay, Jay, say hello to the people. Hey, party people out there. All right, party people out there. You know how old she is. All right, so we we have a great episode coming to you today. We are going to talk about some current events, but most importantly, we are going to talk about code switching. That is when folks in the black community need to speak a certain way at work, but then... Keep it real in their house. In their house. So sit back. Now here at Peeps Creek, you know we always have a drink and... We are actually partaking in vodka, cranberry, and pineapple. Say it with me, people. You mean this isn't vodka? No, it's not coffee. Oh, oh. Because you are over the age of 21. If you're under the age of 21, go ahead and get you some water, get you some tea, get you some coffee, get you some pop. Pop is soda. If you don't like soda, then get you some orange juice or some apple juice. Sit back, join in, and we are going in. All right, people, so we are now in the episode. So before we go into all of the topics that we need to talk about, we are going to do a check-in. So, David, how was your week? Which one? This one? <laughs> yes, boy. <laughs> now, don't call him boy. Oh, don't call me boy? He Sorry. He's a grown man. How was your week, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, I got good news, though, at work. So I am actually on the run to become the next uh, lead teller. Finally, eh, eh, I'm training now. Okay, well, excellent. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Um, congratulations, and you worked hard for it, and hopefully sure you actually can succeed in it. Um, and yeah, so Jay, how was your week? Well, I made it through the week. So that's a good thing. Thank Come you. On, bless the Lord. And uh, it was very busy and very exhausted. Um, it's interesting that our topic is code switching because, you know, you have to carry yourself a certain way at work. And there were many times this week that I wanted to switch to the other side switch of the, the street code. Oh. and really, you know, keep it 100. But I do like my good government job, so I couldn't do that. All right. Well, anyway, I, I'm glad that you had a good week. You actually was on vacation, right? You went to Arizona somewhere? I went to Tucson, Tucson. Was uh, it last weekend. It actually was kind of chilly, unusually cool, right. but I still had a good time. I'm so happy for you. Um, my week, 
<laughs> no, that, I'm being serious. I'm very happy for you. <laughs> so, it sounded my, like I know, shameless. Right, so. My week was... Wait, okay. how was your week, Deontay? Excuse me, my name is Sean. Oh, Sean. My week was fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> work, work, work. I didn't do anything really fun, but... You know, I'm alive, I'm well, I'm not sleeping in anyone's grave, so I'm thankful for that. And it was Valentine's this week. Oh, yeah. How how was your Valentine's? David, how was your Valentine's? Uh, I mean, honestly, I don't, I do not celebrate. Okay, wait. How was your Valentine's, Jay? Why don't you celebrate Valentine's? Actually, I never had, like, since, um, I, I was a kid, I never actually had a passion for it. And uh, my partner is aware of it. So. Oh. Okay. Week. <laughs> Jay, how was your Valentine? Uh, I mean, it was another Thursday for me, right. really. It didn't matter. I want to get back to why specifically you don't celebrate Valentine's Day. There's something underneath that. What is it? Well, um, here you now we got no gifts before. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Can you identify why? You're so nonchalant about Valentine's. All right, so I actually, um, you know, when you were a kid and you in school, pre uh, elementary school, whatever, you do those kind of things, you know, at school, because they, you know, sometimes they, um, the teacher tells you to do so. Um, I wasn't actually 100% participating in all of it, in all of it, because I wasn't actually interested. Uh, however, when I was growing up and you know, dating and all that. Um, and all that, um, the my partners, you know, my boyfriends, my ex-boyfriends, they were not into either. So you know, kind of find the balance in between. Um, my ex uh, boyfriend, I think like four years ago, we tried it. You know, we tried it. Uh, it just didn't. I wasn't passionate about it. So you felt it was manufactured. Yeah, exactly. It's not natural. Felony. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it have, I have nothing against Valentine's. If someone say Happy Valentine's, I would say it back. But it's not something that I would celebrate or uh, stress myself out to look for. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of yeah. people who feel like you do. They believe it's a manufactured holiday. It creates a lot of unnecessary tension between couples with regard to how we're going to celebrate it. Right. Are you proving your love to me enough? Right. Correct. Uh, yeah. Is the gift good enough? How can you top last year? So it becomes a burden for a lot of people. Um, And uh, many would argue it's just um, uh, evidence of capitalism and over-commercialization of our lives. So I get it. Okay. So um, in regards to my Valentine's Day, I did not get anything. I didn't receive anything. I think the last time I received something was maybe 10 years ago. I did receive happy Valentine's for some people. Um, Not from the person I was dating, though. (laughs) Not even a lie. Well, maybe they don't celebrate. Happy Valentine's. I ain't getting none of that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, in Detroit, we have Valentine's Day and then we have Sweetest Day. What's that? What's that? It's like another Valentine's Day. But it's Why? like in September. I don't know. What the hell? Ah. <laughs> I mean, you're from Detroit. I, I thought you had a big history on this. I mean, I never understood what was the point of it. But it really is another Valentine's Day. And I think it's like in September. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I did not do a lot for Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like 
it's an opportunity to do something outside of the box even if you don't really particularly care about it if you're in a relationship but it is what it is so we're going to move on to the next topic working out so i know jay that recently you went on this um frenzy of running so talk to the people about why you did it and how you feel now that you are back into running so uh my journey to begin running um, again was reignited in July as a result of my dog passing. I'd had the dog for about 17 and a half years. When she passed, I didn't know what to do with myself after having walked her a couple times a day, you know, for 17 and a half years. So I decided, you know, the next morning to go out and still sort of walk in her honor. And then I started taking longer walks because I just wanted to stay outside and clear my head. And I was thinking, well, I can do more. And I just started running. One day I decided, let me run instead of walk. And um, I had not run uh, in like 10 years previous and it reminded me how much I really loved it and so I started running and um, I did that from July and consistently until the weather broke and uh, since then I've actually had injuries with my ankle and there's been warmer weather recently but now I'm dealing with what looks to be plantar fasciitis so I, I'm having some injuries that I need to address before <laughs> before yes I am I am 48 years old mm. and so thank you very much Dave because I know I look good okay you look great so, we, uh, so that's fine I'm not I would have about you that. to know that my friends from high school I actually from middle school I posted a picture on Facebook today and my friend responded that I have found the fountain of youth because I still look the same funny how we went from me to him to okay, me that's what I, make like sure. were, I mean that wasn't really part of my story I'm just saying but I mean you asked me the question but uh, uh, please proceed we, Deontay tell us more about how about young your friends told you you look no you look you look I know I look good you, you have look to tell good me. to be 48 you look 46 and a half Jesus uh -huh. Christ so anyway when I <laughs> I will resume my running you know hobby as soon as I can and what about you, Sean? I know you go to the gym quite a bit. You're in the gym just even this there's morning. There's no difference. I, w I was in the gym um, today. I work out fairly often. <laughs> I used to do a lot of cardio, but now I have subscribed to the high-intensity interval training because I feel like I get more bang for my buck in less amount of time. Um, and I like to run, but I don't like to run inside. I like to run outside, but quite frankly, it's bad for your knees. Um, so I have um, pretty much subscribed to high intensity interval training and weightlifting. And I know that Peter said that um, there's no difference, but um, I think if I look in the mirror in comparison to Peter, I'm good. Wait, no difference in what? What did you hear? He trying to be shady and trying to say that I don't look good. Like I don't be exercising. Like it's not paying like off. Like you don't be exercising. Is that what you said, David? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but David doesn't even go to the gym. He has a membership, doesn't go. Every time he go, he just looks around like in this daze, like Bambi, <laughs> like a deer. But you look good, David, so no, it's fine. But... It's important for him to talk about what it is mentally that kind of precludes him from exercise. So I just recently um, 
find out that you know I do want to have a better body than what I have but it's just the gym that we go to you know uh, it's just so depressing every gym that we go to look the same depressing how as in as in uh, I don't get the motivation to to work out instead of getting it I lose it you know I go with the hey uh, all excited as soon as I walked in, it just that oh, that all oh, stay behind. I think part of it too, because we work together. So I think part of it is is that he goes in, he sees all these people who are like, I do not actually who are like gym heads, who are like cold, strong gym heads. Yeah, pumped up, and it's and like, focused. They're and in the focused. zone. They're in their zone, or they just walking around because their body look great. And <laughs> I just think that part of it is. I'm just going to use this word intimidation, not in the fact that they look that way, but because they are seeing results that he is not seeing at the time. And so what I was telling him is that um, like a place like Planet Fitness, where people, it's not about what you look like, it's about you doing things on your time, in your zone. Um, in your moment and at your level. I think that's true for a lot of people. They are intimidated right. by what they see. Um, and it's the hardest thing to get into the routine and the rhythm right, of working dedication. out. And that can be, and so what you see when you see people who have muscles or who are focused and look like they know exactly what to do, they had to start from right. somewhere, but they've been doing it consistently. Exactly, so that's exactly, uh, yeah, like he said, you know, I, I, I sometimes I question myself why, you know, I don't see results, but the, 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 the thing is because I don't stay consistent. I don't uh, discipline myself to do so. The reason why, because, you know, I, uh, yeah, I'm not, not going to lie. I get tired and I don't like that. I get lazy or like the depression when I go into the gym. Probably it's just I need to change an atmosphere, which, you know, I might get a different gym to go to. I, I do think it's a head thing. Like you, you, it, yeah. It if is. if you don't, if you 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 need to focus. I this is what I say to people. Like I work out a lot. I'm not like uh, I don't have any kind of um, certificates or anything. But I know what work works for me, and I get that way too. Like I go to the gym. I see all these people who are getting these results like faster than I am, and God knows what they're doing to get there. But at the end of the day, what I'm focusing on—you accusing these people of taking PEDs? Hello. <laughs> what I'm fo- <laughs> they that's can't just not, be healthy and working out. No, oh, okay. That's all this pump shit and Hater. everything else. But Hater. sound like some hater. Let me, let me, let me. me just be clear. I'm all natural, people. Okay, <laughs> I do it the natural way. But I also get into my head that way too. But it's really about putting your head that when I go to the gym, the space that I walk in, the four corners that my feet are setting in or mm-hmm. sitting in, it's mine. Mm-hmm. And once you're able to get that, it's like, who cares what everyone else is doing? Because what I also found out is that when I'm doing something wrong, it's more likely than not that someone will come and say, hey, this is how you do this. And it's kind of motivating, but you just have to get it out of your and head. And it helps you feel more included exactly. and excluded. And that's that's one of the things that I don't feel included yet, you know. Uh, I do feel that because I lose some type of weight and I haven't lost some, you know, part of my body, so grown part of it. I, I feel that if I do it in like a private section first and then I get those results, I will feel more confident to go out there and work out. 
came but from here's all the thing. these people. You can't worry about what anybody else Say has it again. To say one more time. One more time. Or think about you. Say it one more time. Yeah, yeah. You, you cannot be worried about what's Because this is what you want for right. yourself. So don't, you know, don't let other people control your life, your destiny, your purpose, your fun, your joy. That, so, that was for you, Sean. No, that was for you at the gym because you all you do is go and look. And the other thing is, like, you're not even invited. Your face is all frowned up like, oh, my God, why am I here? Like, the, look, the world is coming to an I end. I get that depression, man. Don't get uh. depressed. Mm-mm, ain't worth it, especially when you're paying $30-something a month. Use your membership <laughs> wisely. <laughs> all right, so we are going to move on to the next topic. This is going to be about... Colin Kaepernick. So we don't know the details of his settlement, but what we do know Confidential, is, which means he got a whole lot of money. Well, we don't know that. I he could have stood up for the principal. The people could have been donated. He didn't walk away with no money. They have blackballed that man. He hasn't we worked don't for know. the last two I'm years. I'm not going to speculate I about know. the specifics of his, his settlement agreement, particularly given the confidentiality um, parameters <laughs> around around. Well, I'm going to speculate. I have an, I can make an educated guess that that boy and Eric Reed don't forget he, ain't he no was boy. part you of told the me don't call Set David up. a boy. I told you don't call David a boy. I'm just saying that he got his money. Him and Eric Reed. Let's not forget Eric Reed was part of the I was about to say that. Well. I agree 100%. So what I want to know, though, for those individuals who were, because you canceled your football packet. I did indeed. You did. But even though I saw, I mean, we, we're friends and... You know, I don't think you were really true to the protest. You were talking about you going to this party and that party. You canceled. You questioning your, my protest? You, <laughs> you canceled. Questioning my you protest. Canceled, you canceled your payment so yes. you can use that money towards brunch. But you were still <laughs> going to your No, baby, I was still going to brunch with the with the package. It didn't hurt. But no. No, it, so it here's the question. Mm-hmm. Now that that has settled. Is the protest over or is the protest bigger than these two? Is it really this concept like LeBron James, who, you know, his hairline is pushed back, but he is awesome and everything. That he does. <laughs> Why are you dogging a man's hairline? <laughs> no, he's awesome. Um, but Wait, he, he doesn't even have hair. He is very clear on the fact that NFL is plantation. Mm. It's a plantation. And I don't it disagree is, with that. It, so the question becomes... Is the protest over or is this just um, one victory belt or notch in the belt of victory towards where we want to go? So I would say the latter because there are two uh, uh, concurrent issues here, right? Parallel, two concurrent parallel issues. One is, are we specifically boycotting the NFL because of their reaction to Kaepernick's exercise of his constitutional rights? What what are we doing here with regard to that protest? Is it just for that individual reason? Or are we objecting at large to the systemic, you know, racism and institutionalized and um, systematic racism that we experience? How do we expect to resolve that are we giving up are we saying now that everything is fine now that Kaepernick has gotten his money which I would bet money on we don't know people which I, I, which I would here bet at money the, on. the so, Peach Creek Double <laughs> podcast we don't have any insight into the settlement agreement that was reached between these the parties so we do not know if he has money this is Jay's perspective. Indeed. And it we is do Jay's not opinion. subscribe to that. And so you don't have to, it's not attributable to this little podcast. So, but my Wait, opinion is. Wait, did you is- just say little podcast? <laughs> <laughs> this is how people do you. 
when they see all this equipment, this ain't little. I invested in the equipment so that I can have a platform uh-huh. so that we can speak about pertinent issues. But uh-huh. go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. So um, uh, even she though... She won't be back. <laughs> I'll be right here next week. So even though Kaepernick most assuredly... Uh, you know, can claim victory, I believe, under the circumstances, because I believe he, he was compensated not only for the time he's lost in the last couple of years from ble- from being blackballed, but I think they paid him enough for him to agree to settle. He may never still play in the NFL again, but um, I do think we can claim some victory in that regard as to whether this issue of um, black men and and black boys being unreasonably and unjustifiably targeted and killed have we solved that problem of course not so what this means for the protest for me is i'd always said from the beginning that i was protesting until kaepernick was somehow compensated and provided you know some type of victory and um if they did uh indeed uh if the NFL backed off from this rule that they had instituted that you would be penalized if you protested the national anthem. Now they backed off from that rule in the beginning of the season and now Kaepernick has his money. So I can go back to ordering my direct TV package again because that doesn't stop me from still arguing and still being involved in trying to make a difference with respect to you know the warfare that exists between society and black men that still goes on and i can still participate in that i can still voice my opinion with regard to that and you know we could still uh uh identify it as a cause sure we i yeah, that's like I, I, I guess I, I, I don't know I, I, I won't be watching it I will not be watching it Okay. I will not watch it however you want to say it, black English um, standard English so are you Ebonics or whatever <laughs> I ain't watching it you understand and he, here's the thing Like I, I just feel like I, I, I appreciate everything you said it was very well said um, I do not agree but I respect it and here's the thing about protests Every individual's protest may be different. The question becomes, um, as a cultural protest, or as a people, is this a protest for the people, or is this a protest that's individualized? And if it's individualized, then I just feel like it's not a protest. Let's just think about back in the day when the Selma boycott was going on, um, the bus boycott. If People subscribe to that perspective of, well, I'm going to take the bus, but, you know, I still support the people. I don't think that we will have any impact. And the thing is, is that I feel like because we have not really established who we are from a mainstream America perspective, that our positions, our feelings, what impact us, what hurt us are not really taken seriously. And I feel like the issue with police brutality with black males is a serious thing. And if that was um, just for to- just a, just a, just a, justification, no, juxtaposed, yes, mm-hmm. to Caucasians, mm-hmm. 
that we would not see this lackadaisical approach and response to it because it's a major thing. Let's just take this whole opioid thing. Wait, but the I... whole the whole concept of opioids is like okay, it's a it is a travesty upon America. It is killing because our because it's kids. killing all the white people now. It's, it's killing individuals who are non-African American mm-hmm. because crack was crack was, in the 80s. was going in the yeah. 80s and no one was doing anything about that other than putting people in jail right. for having it they or selling it. it. Right. Um, and so I just feel like yes, it may not be directly parallel and it may not be directly relevant, but if you really think about it. I just feel like we need to do a little more with this whole NFL thing. That's just so my opinion. I, I don't disagree with you. I don't. I take issue with your characterization of the protest as lackadaisical. I, but I do hear your point in that um, you want a more united front that you think will have a greater impact. And I think the Selma bus boycott is an excellent example of what people can do when they unify. The problem, though, is in this day and age, something like the Selma boycott just will not happen again. Black people are not a monolith, and we're not as confined and restricted in the ways that we were in the 60s, the 50s and 60s. Now, have we made it? No, we are still struggling to overcome. But I, I respect people's uh, choices on how to protest and what, what that looks like for them. Because I can protest at work. Because at work we have these gatherings. They always want to sing the national anthem, and I don't. Um, I don't participate. I, I don't put my hand over my chest. I don't sing the anthem. I stand there and look, and that's my way of me protest. Daring somebody to off. say something to me. We did that at the the Eagles game. I took up the Eagles game, and the national anthem came on, and I was like, I ain't standing up. <laughs> and my son was like, Dad. Come on, just just pretend like you into it. I'm like, nope. And you have the right no. to protest how you. Now, pro- let me just correct the record. I did not say that the protest was last day. Okay. Ago. What I was saying was that the response to the issues that we were bringing was lots of days ago. From not mainstream from the black America? Com- yes, is that what you Not mean? from okay. the black community, okay. but from mainstream America. So let me correct that record. Okay. All right. So, David, mm. you do you have anything to say on this topic? About... What were we just talking about? Uh, the, the protest? Yes. Uh, I, I don't actually um, pay attention to football. However, uh, I don't actually feel that he was wrong of what he did. You know, he protested. He um, Kaepernick, you're referring to? Yes. Him. That's what we... Yes. Yeah. So I feel that uh, he has the freedom and the right to... to protest the way he wants to and and whatever punishment they give him just because of that I don't think that was fair until today that's the only thing I know you know I don't um, pay attention too much into football but you know that was a big thing but it's not really just about football but do you understand the larger picture no of course I do I do I do do how the um, justice thing about the minimum uh, the minority in this country is and I've been part of it you know so, uh, as in Latin community we also get targeted a lot and um, there is plenty of uh, my people that has been killed as well as in being um, discriminated and being name calling or targeting as in you're a drug dealer or a raper and rapist and you know awful things like that so yeah I can actually relate to the 
Oppression. Depression, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we are, th- well, thank both of you for that. You're um, both of you have perspectives that um, I can appreciate, I can learn from, um, and I can agree with and disagree with, as I already said to Janine. I'm Jay. Um, but um, we are going to move to the next topic of code switching and before we do that we are going to bring on one of my friends um, to engage in the conversation as well so we're going to take a quick break and we're going to get on online and then we are going to go into code switching say it with me Janika code switching code switching Peter code switching switching. All right, we'll be back. <laughs> All right, so we are back and we are going into the main topic, the main topic of code switching. And I am still joined with Peter. Say hey. hello, Peter. Hello, hello, hello. I am still joined with Jay. Say hello, Jay. Hello. But I am also joined by special guest, Dr. Tiffany Mitchell. Now, I call her Black Power. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Alright, so so we went to undergrad together at Old Dominion University. She is a member of Sima Gamma Rho, And I am a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Jay Knife. Oh my god. Anyhow, so <laughs> so we were all part of um, Greek life at Old Dominion, and she on her Instagram she has always inspired me about being black and being true about being black. And even in undergrad, she was revolutionary. Like she would come in and just always have her fish raised on issues. I'm like Tiff, we we in lunch. <laughs> <laughs> She in the cafeteria. Yeah, cafeteria. We're, Revolution. We're, we just eat cheese pizza. Right? Oppression <laughs> is everywhere. That's right. That's right. You know, but she 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 has always been that chick that was not afraid to be black and unapologetically. Um, and so when I was doing this this podcast on Code Switch and I, I asked her, hey, what books can I read? Blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, hey, I know this is a little podcast, as Jay says, um, but <laughs> it'd be great if you came on. And she agreed. And so we have her. Say hello to the people, Tiff. Hey. All right, so tell people what you are, what your credentials are, and what you are doing. All right, so I'm black. You heard that. That's awesome. Uh, Um, And I am from Hampton, Virginia, so that's a big part of my identity and where I come from. I studied political science, then moved into education, and I've been a social studies educator in D.C. and in Arlington, Virginia. And now I am an assistant professor of secondary social studies at West Virginia University. But while I was working on my PhD, I studied multicultural education and multilingual education. So talking a lot about these issues of code switching and all of that. Um, But also talking about education and how can we make it more inclusive for all students. And then education policy, looking at how um, my interest particularly was curriculum and how curriculum doesn't often allow the space and how can teachers navigate that. So, AKA, she's smart. 
<laughs> she's intelligent. She I is smart. Important. <laughs> and she's important. important. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but then I be code switching too. Right. <laughs> right. All right, so let's get into this conversation. It's gonna be kind of a deep conversation. So let me tell you briefly how this topic came into fruition. So uh, Jay and I were brunching, and then we decided after brunching that we were going to go, oh, and David was there, and we were going to go to a bar and continue drinking. And so Jay, being the friend she is, she's like, I listen to your some of your podcast episodes. They're nice, but you know, I'm gonna need your subjects and verbs to agree. Yes, and I was yes. like, Ooh. I was like, because I know Deontay is very smart. I would dare to call him brilliant, but for his ego, because then I never hear the end of it. Why but keep him humble. That's right. That's right. Got to keep him humble. And so I understand how intelligent he is. And my point was, other people may not receive that same impression when your subjects and verbs don't agree. Well, let me just tell you here at Peeps Creek Double Talk to podcast my subjects my verbs they don't agree okay (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so we had this deep conversation at the bar um, and then I was like you know what this is a subject that we should just talk about because it is a subject that is endemic in our community like we we're always in one foot in one world and the other foot in the mm-hmm. other. Um, and W.E. Du Bois, right? He, du Bois. Uh-huh. Du Bois. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you know a lot of people say Du Bois. I know they do. They do. They mispronounce <laughs> it. Again, you know. I don't know because I never met him. But here's the thing. <laughs> so he didn't <laughs> tell me. He didn't tell But I do, I do take issue to some extent with saying uh, it's one or the other because it all almost assumes that to be black means that you don't speak proper English. And in every black household or outside of a white audience, all we engage in is Ebonics. And that's not true either. I agree with that, but the problem becomes, I think, and Tiff, jump in, because you're more educated in this topic than I am. Now, I did read that book that you told me to read, Talk Back, Talk Black. It was very good, I read it. Um, so, but here's the thing that I, I take issue with. I agree with you. Um, you don't have to talk black, but there is nothing. What does that mean, though? Well, I mean, we'll get to that. Okay. But, but you, there shouldn't be a problem when I'm with my friends and with my family and people who I'm comfortable with, and I switch to vernacular that's consistent with what they know. I don't disagree um, with and, that. And so, but the problem I think is that a lot of intellectual African Americans mm-hmm. tend to look down on you when you do that, and they don't recognize that there are individuals who live in both worlds at the same time. Um, let's just take, for instance, like Michelle Obama's book. One of the things that she said was that when she went to school, people were like, why you talk white? I, I understand that. Um, now, that's not me, because I'm ghetto. I'm straight from the streets. I'm from Detroit, 313. Hello, Hamilton and Burdigay. It's like, no. But I understand that. And so I just take issue with the fact that oftentimes we fail to realize that people are navigating through this thinly veiled process of standard English and then 
what some people identify that's as Ebonics, some particular and then some people say black English or what have you. So that's kind of my perspective. Okay, so Tiff, what you got to say about it? All that. Okay, let's go back to the beginning because I think if we're going to talk about it, we really got to unpack what um, English is and the um, supremacy and whiteness and everything that is laced within it because that's what this all stems from. So there's a lot of, basically this is studied by sociolinguistics, people that study language. And the history comes from, um, you know, this broken English or whatever, then there was this movement in the 70s to say, well, it's not necessarily a broken English, this is a way of speaking. English, French, Spanish, all of these are stem from European colonization, period. These were not languages that were spoken in Americas. Um, I read a book one time back in the day that said something like, there's no one on this planet that isn't touched by the effects of European colonization. And when you think about that, language is a piece of it. So we are kind of doing some of that work, or oh, you sound ghetto, you this and this, that, but we're not it's still addressing the issue of how we got English in the first place. Everybody code switches all the time. This is not unique to black culture. I agree um, with that. And I think that's something that we have to talk about as well because the conversations in the West Virginia aren't about black English. They're about people sounding like hillbillies and rednecks and all of that. So they don't look at that as standard English either. And there's stereotypes associated to it. And that's linguistic discrimination, it's accent discrimination. And it all stems from, well, what is this English and how English became this force. If you ask, like, what's the official language of the United States? Do you guys know? Mm, English. No, there is none. <laughs> yeah, there, there is, is no none. Language no. Oh, that's right. They want to try to pass that. Right. So there's no. So, but for some reason, we understand that English is associated to cultural capital. So. In order to get a job, you have to sound like, you know, you are articulate, as they say, which we can talk about that as well. You have to be able to speak to that in order to navigate. But there's plenty of people that have navigated the society without speaking standard English. But there's a time and place for everything, too. And uh, we kind of will talk later about what that does that mean in classrooms and everything. But I think we have to think about the racism, the supremacy English um, as hegemony as this a dominant force that basically dismisses any other forms of speaking. So, but you okay? So let me let me ask this. So you 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 use the term racism, and I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Now the book that you told me to read, um, the author is is it Wharton, right? Uh, McCorder. Yeah, McCorder. Sorry. So what he he makes a pitch for. Um, the fact that the way that black individuals speak is just considered black English and that's a dialect issue and that Mm -hmm. individuals need to recognize that it is a dialect issue and it is nothing wrong with doing so but what he doesn't do and he kinds of he, he really does not spend any time really approaching because he feels like to do that would just give credence to the fact that it should not be accepted. And that is the concept of racism. That he he does not address the fact that black people speak back in the day, they spoke the way that they spoke 
because they were not given the opportunities and advantages that individuals who were non-black were given. So how do you, I'm, I'm assuming you read the book because you asked me to read it. Mm -hmm. So how did you take that, uh, how did that resonate with you and what you feel about this whole concept of um, speaking black? Well, when he first came out 20 years ago, people were critiquing him off jump because of that very reason. So what I appreciate from him is the linguistic perspective of it, where he's just saying there are certain grammatical functions that don't fit standard English that should still be valued. But he is not on the race train. It's almost like you don't expect certain things from certain people. Right. So he hasn't gone there for 20 years in his research. So that was clear and I think there are other people that have critiqued him about that same issue and, and have talked about him in that in that same respect of that and and there's other people that do this work that address just the race but then don't talk about um, the the actual grammatical constructions of it and then there's people that talk about the same conversations like should it be taught should it be allowed should we just keep it to ourselves and I think um we have to really start having this at a broader scale because black culture is American culture and it permeates throughout everything. And it's not just slang. Like I think people think of Ebonics or black English as just slang. It's slang or related to like yeah, rap. It's not just that. Yeah, right? yeah, slang yeah. is very low level. It's like saying what had happened or you done growed up. Right. And when you say you done growed up, that means you post you stopped growing. Right. If we're using standard English. But with when black people say that, they say, oh, child, look at you. You know, you're getting older. You're going to continue growing. So right. I think that's where we have to think about black English is just really talking about how we use language and how language is used. Um, and it's not just slang, which I think where the conversation usually goes. Right. But I think um, I, I guess my issue comes in where I don't disagree that we should be allowed to speak however we want. And that means we actually have the ability where white people have not um, appreciated uh, the value, really, or the ability to live in two different worlds at once where we can speak one language in one environment and one in another. But my, my concern arises when people equate um, our, our different use of the English language as being less intelligent as a result. And then there are other consequences that result. I read an article recently that talked about how court reporters particularly um, are prone to you know, mistranscribe what is being said in the courtroom by a particular witness because they don't understand what this person is saying because they're using, you know, English that is, that is below, you know, the king's standard and to the extent where, say, an appeal is filed in a criminal case and review of the transcript produces a different result because the court reporters have failed to capture exactly what the person was saying. Like they can't even transcribe verbatim what the person is saying because they can't process what has been said. And that was true for both black and white. Um, yeah, I was well, can, can we stay on that very quickly? Cause I have that as a note. And, and, and that was very true and it was prevalent 
And I think it was a major issue in the Trayvon Martin case. Mm. Remember that the key witness, his friend on the phone, she didn't speak the standard English. And the prosecutors, as well as the defense attorney, um, really played with that to her disadvantage. It wasn't about the substance of what she had to say. It was about how how she she had to say that substance. And I just think that's problematic. And if you, if you subscribe to like, I'm sorry to Dr. Mitchell, what was his name again? McMorton? McWhorter. McWhorter, yeah. Yeah. If you take his perspective, his perspective is, it's, it's a dialect change. And, and so, like, for instance, with David, he speaks Spanish, right? So there are individuals, when he's comfortable with an individual, he used certain verbs to conjugate in his sentences that he would not use with anyone who isn't, that he's not comfortable with. And I feel like if we took that same perspective for individuals who speak in the black culture, that that would not be an issue because you take a... I don't want to use this word, but you use it, um, Tiff. Um, first of all, is it okay if I call you Tiff and not Dr. Yeah, Mitchell? I uh-huh. know yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, um, <laughs> so, you take like the concept of a redneck or someone who lives in a trailer. They don't speak standard English. But when they go, if they were to go in trial and be a witness, I would put almost at least 85% of my savings on the fact that the, the way in which they deliver their testimony would not be the headline news. And it was the headline news with Trayvon Martin, even though the substance of what she had to offer. Well, that's because they were always trying to crucify black people. Well, I was going to say, I think it's we're confounding a couple of issues together. Okay. Going beyond the language. So I think you guys are bringing up great points about, you know, how she was treated because she was black. So because of her race, because right. of how she spoke. But then even going back to the court reporter, I mean, we can talk about the criminal justice system and how that whole system is designed to almost oppress black and brown people so or people that are poor Mm -hmm. right and so i guess what i'm saying is and that also is found in in the white communities too you just don't hear about right right and white people do not all speak standard english then this becomes an issue of access to quality education Mm -hmm. so you're expecting people to have we're talking about code switching, but code switching means frequently going between languages and dialects. Right. But if you only have one language and only one dialect, how are you able to code switch? Right. Right. Which then diminishes your cultural capital in the world. Cultural capital. This is uh, an idea about you no. Know, it's about um, having certain knowledge and behaviors and information in order to be successful in life. So depending on the things you know, you're able to then leverage that to social capital and to wealth. So this is kind of an idea that was um, came up with by this socialist. Um, I'm socialist, not socialist. Lord, don't say that to people who are crazy. Soci- <laughs> sociologists. He studies yeah. sociology. Yeah. Um, world famous. And, and so I think that's what we're talking about here. Like if you can't have a command of English in this country and, and in countries that are English preferred it limits some of your chances to have that kind of cultural mobility, upward mobility and social mobility. It does not mean it 
cancels it out altogether, right. but there could be some of the issues of access and all that. So can we stay on education for a moment? So, um, and this is for everyone, um, Jay, David, Tiff. Um, you know how in a lot of um, American schools, they have the concept of English as a, single, a second language. And it's predominantly for individuals who come from different countries, right? Right. Like David, English is your second language. Correct. Right? Um, and so, as an educator, do you think there needs to be for some communities in some, some areas um, English as a second language as it relates to standard English for individuals in the black community who only understand or speaks or recognize um, I'm just going to call it as non-standardized English language does that make sense? Yeah, so I think it's a couple things mixed in with what you say like all these questions are so deep <laughs> so when we're thinking about English as a second which is a term that they kind of gotten away from from is more English language learners because it could be your third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth language, right? Okay. So, because the United States um, is the but only it's still country used in some places, um, but the, the field know. is shifting with that. Um, so when you think about one, it's this ex, it's the value that you place on the first language. So it's either you're looking at the language from an asset level or a deficit level. You can build upon language, right? People learn multiple languages. It's whether you value it and or say, oh, you speak that way, you're ghetto, you speak that way, your country, you'll never be nothing because you talked away. Now you're dismissing not only that person, you're dismissing their whole lineage. Because uh, my grandmother couldn't read or write. She talked a very certain way. So am I now demeaning her intelligence because of that? I think what we need to do is to be clear and what I've done in my classroom with students is te teach them about this. English was brought here by settlers. Nobody was speaking English here. Spanish was brought here by settlers. Nobody was speaking Spanish, right? And so teaching them that these are languages that were forced upon people, teaching them that there are so many different dialects and ways of expressing. You do need to have a command of English to navigate this world. So you need to understand it, you need to be able to speak it. And I think it becomes giving students that critical social justice education, giving students quality education, because really students just need English instruction. I teach them about code switching. When I was teaching in DC and they like writing Jada, yo, Bama, Young and all that on the paper, I'm like, the way you talk to your friends is not the same way you talk to your mom or the same way you would talk to an adult or the same way you would talk to them. Oh yeah, that's true, that's true. So yeah, that's cool, talk to your friends like that, but on this paper that you gotta turn in, let's not use that in this space. It's the time, place for everything. And they understand that very quickly because they do it all the time. How did and they get as far as college though and not know that they shouldn't use that vernacular in a written product for a class? That's, you know. Oh, I was talking about when I was in middle school. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay. <laughs> but college is not much better because you also are dealing with. So right now I'm in a. Uh, I have students that have varying backgrounds. I have students that uh, from real rural counties in West Virginia, and they might only been to school, graduated with 20 people. Mm. So your teacher taught you five different subjects. It may not have been really quality in certain ones. Mm -hmm. 
So you're going to get all types of people coming to college with varying levels of, you know, experience and access to quality education. And that's really the root of what we're talking about. Access to quality education for But, but what does that, people. okay, so, so, so Tiff, tell me what, what, what does that term mean to you? Access to quality education. So does that mean understanding and being able to navigate through what we call the standard things English? Or what, what, what do you mean by that as an educator? When I say access to quality, I mean teachers that are teaching the curriculum or beyond the curriculum, actually, that are there, that are invested in the community. What we see a lot of times that happens in inner city or poor communities, there's high teacher turnover. You know, there's a lot of systemic problems happening in the school. There's a lack of resources. How are you going to teach English if you don't have books? When I first taught it, I had to fundraise to get 50 books in my classroom so they had access to multicultural books. Wow. Because the books they had were old. What, they what, were like, who wants to read Hardy Boys? What city Why was that? Why am I seeing Hardy Boys in a D.C. class? You oh, know, D.C. D.C. Mm. You know? <laughs> but then you go, I go to Arlington and they got full libraries in the classroom. I don't have to come out my pocket for nothing. And that's 15 minutes away. Right, so and so that's what I mean by access. Who is getting the quality and getting access to resources? So the way to oh sorry, I'm no. just gonna say the best way to read better is to actually read. <laughs> so you have to have access to those resources. No, I agree with that. Now the one thing that and I might be going off subject, and you all can reel me back in, but. So I purposely bought my house in a community where I believe that my son would get quality education based upon the research that I did and all of that. And I, I agree that this school system has a high quality of education. My concern, though, in Fairfax County, in Fairfax County, mm-hmm. yeah, what I'm concerned about, though, is that with that quality of education comes a lack of understanding about Mm -hmm. cultural diversity. Yes, yes. Um, And so you can't teach a class as if everyone is the same race. You can't teach a class as if everyone comes from the same socioeconomic background. And I feel like the quality of the materials in which they have access to is better but not necessarily um, individuals who understand who the students are in the classroom. Right. Well, I think that's a a dichotomy for a lot of particularly black people in in middle class America, right? In upper middle class. Mm -hmm. You are striving. You are of the educated, um, you know, generation a lot of times. And you are striving to provide your kids an even better level of education. And oftentimes that, oftentimes that means, especially for a public school system, you've got to move where the tax bracket is higher, where they do have the resources to dedicate to a public school. So more often than not, you're now in a white community. And the question becomes, how do I socialize my child and provide them the cultural support and education they need when they are the extreme minority so i i I understand your your issue absolutely because when we think about the data of public schools we have basically in 2014 public schools became majority minority so it's slightly more students of color than white 
students than for the first time. And that is continuing to grow. The teaching force is 83% white. So even as schools are, and it's not to say that white teachers can't be culturally responsive to students. I don't ever want to say that, but it's just an overwhelmingly white teaching force in public schools as schools are beginning to shift. So schools are having to start thinking about this particular question that you're saying and being more culturally responsive. That means doing a lot of work on their part of checking their own bias, checking their own privileges, unpacking themselves and how are they interacting with their students. And and what we're talking about here too is that all black people are not the same. We're not monolithic group. Even within black English, they act as if somebody, a white man from Mississippi does not talk similarly. Or what does that mean? Or does not code switch. White people in corporate offices code switch. The good old boys, they might talk one way in the boardroom or they might not have feel like they have to change and talk because they have the power. I mean, look at uh, who's in the White House right now. Yeah. So I think we have to start thinking about that um, at the multiple levels. But I absolutely agree with you guys. What you're saying. All right, people, that was an intriguing conversation here at Peace Creek, the Double Entendre podcast. It was a tough conversation, but one I think that we need to have. I want to thank my co-hosts for today's episode, David and Janika. But most importantly, I want to thank Dr. Tiffany Mitchell from West Virginia University for taking time out of her schedule to really educate us on the concept of code switching um, and how we kind of navigate through that. Um, This was a long episode, so we are going to break this in two parts. And part two, um, in two weeks, Dr. Mitchell will join us for just a short portion of that episode, and then we will continue with the conversation. So, um, all the music that you heard here at Peach Creek, the Double Entendre Podcast, was created by my brother, Crazy Drink, out of Detroit, Michigan. Make sure that you listen, make sure that you rate, make sure that you subscribe, and if you feel like it, go ahead and promote it. Tell a friend, tell a, tell a relative, tell an enemy, tell your boss, tell your lover that there is a podcast out here called Peach Creek, the Double Entendre Podcast, and we are out.